Give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen. Let it be so in this place today. In Jesus' name. Yes. Pastor's text this morning is 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to go to verse 14. Then we're going to skip down to 17 through 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And then verse 17 through 19. And this is what it says. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. Verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men, of all men most miserable. Lord, we thank you for what you did. We declare your name today. We celebrate your name. We thank you for the death and we thank you for the resurrection. And I pray today you would give our pastor liberty to preach your word. I pray souls be saved. I pray the kingdom be expanded. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody here on this Easter morning, this resurrection morning. You may be seated. We're so glad that the Lord has been here in our worship to minister to us and we're glad that you're here today. We've done a little bit different today. We had two different uh, services instead of just one on Easter. We tried that out. And our morning service, we had a tremendous house. The house was just completely almost full. And then we've got a great attendance in the second house. Um, and we're just delighted that you're here today. You know, a few uh, weeks ago, we, I gathered with my council and I told them that I wanted to have a, something a little bit different for Easter this year. I said, let's just do something strange. Let's go out of the top. And I just left it into their hands. And so they got together and they began to talk and they began to uh, rehearse with one another. And they said, well, let's get one of the smartest guys that we know, somebody very articulate, somebody very educated, let him come and let him minister. And they made the phone call and to no avail, that was not going to happen. And then they said, well, let, let's, let's find someone young, you know. People like youth, they like energy, they like excitement. And let's find somebody that's real young. And so they made their phone call and of course that did not follow through as well. And so then they said, well, let's just go out and find the most handsome guy that we can find. And said, you know, that guy that's got charm and charisma and he's handsome and he's, man, he's just a great guy. Well, that didn't happen either. And some of you thought, well, he's going to say that's him this morning. But the truth of the matter is then they called me and they said, Pastor, we really, really, really need you to preach on Easter morning. I said, guys, I've done turgeons down three times. <laughs> Amen. You're stuck with me here today, and hopefully that we'll be able to minister the word of the Lord to you. I want to read my text one more time, and the, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is vain and also. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins. And they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Today I want us to examine what Easter morning is all about. First of all, I would like to ask you a question. What is the emphasis on Easter? What is the main theme at church uh, at an Easter service? 
And we can probably answer that question by just observing the different services that's going on across our nation. We can look and see what kind of messages are being revealed through the song service and what messages are being revealed through the preaching of the word. And matter of fact, if I was to ask the majority of you today, what is the main theme surrounding Easter? Your answer most likely would follow suit with the messages that's being preached, and that is the cross. Most everybody would agree that it's about the cross, about the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. The biggest majority would not only say the cross, but they would focus upon the salvation given through, through, uh, through Christ to each man. And if we were to poll America and ask them, if you were to give one word to describe or define God revealed in an Easter service, what would that word be? Most folks would say almost automatically, just like that, well, I don't even have to think about it, it would be love. Each, even outside of the Easter setting, most Christians view that love is the definitive and all-inclusive statement on the, on the nature of God. And no doubt, nor can we argue that love is the springboard and the cross is the foundation that makes Easter possible. Because the truth of the matter is, without the cross, you cannot have any Easter. However, I submit to you today that the cross is not the main focal point of Easter. Now, before you crucify me, before you get on to me, let me answer you and tell you that if it wasn't for the cross, you and I could not be saved. I am no way diminishing the importance of the cross and the suffering that Jesus did for us on that cross. But however, Good Friday is the focal point of the cross, while the main focal point of Easter is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And no doubt that love is expressed and visibly seen through the cross. Jesus manifested his love by going to the cross and paying the sin debt that you and I could not pay. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commended his love to usward and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John 4 and 19, the Bible tells us we love him because he first loved us. And then in Romans 5 and 6 says, for when we were without strength, yet in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then I love that scripture in John 15, 13, where John said, greater love have no man than this, than a man would lay down his love alive for his friends. And then the golden text of the Bible reveals the love of God to us. It tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God was motivated by love. It was love that gave, it was love that motivated God to give the free gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And it was love that motivated Jesus to go to the cross and die for me and you. It was the great apostle John that proclaimed in the book of first John four, verse seven and eight, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth knoweth God and is born of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God because God is love. And the apostle John said again in the book of first John four and 16, and we know and we believe that love that God has toward us because God is love and he dwelleth in us and us in him. And even though love is one of the many attributes of God, yet we are wrong as a people of God to conclude that love is the, uh, the love is the d d definitive and all-inclusive all inclusive statement of the nature of God. Love in itself and by itself cannot describe and define God. Our culture is wrong about the, its view of God because all of our culture wants to do is focus upon one attribute of God 
which is him being loving. Our, our, our current cultural drum roll is this. We serve a God who loves all unconditionally without standards and without any kind of demands. Our problem is that our culture's focus is not on the pers- person of God, but it's on his essence. And what do I mean by that? It is upon a certain characteristic defined by just one of his attributes. And this is not a true image of who God is, nor is it a picture of who he is, because God is not merely his essence. He cannot be adequately defined by love alone. Love is something true of God, but it is not God alone. He is equally and aptly described as holy, as just, as faithful, as true, as powerful, eternal, as spirit, and the list goes on and on and on. But our problem is that we only want to focus upon the attribute and the context of the love of God. God is immutable and he's always acts like himself. He is unchangeable. To try to change God means that he's not perfect in his present state in which we view him. God is what we call integrated unity. And this means he never suspends one of his attributes to exercise another. One of his attributes is not greater than the other. God is self-existent. He has no beginning because he's eternal. He has no end because he is infinite. He has no limit because he is holy and he is incomprehensible because he is God. And the problem with our culture is that we want to embrace God by one of his single attributes which in return will weaken God and it will make man look better. We like the thought of a God who will die for us and love us unconditionally. We like the thought of a God who will pay our sin debt, take our place in judgment and become our substitute like Jesus did. The great prophet of redemption, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about that in Isaiah 53 and 5 when he said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and through his stripes we are healed. And no doubt we can all be thankful for Jesus' redemptive sacrifice for our sins. Jesus died in our place. He suffered for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sins and he appeased the wrath of God that was to come upon us. And even though that Jesus went to the grueling death of the cross, that was not all that he suffered. Can I tell you, we cannot even comprehend what he went through on the cross, yet in life, he faced and experienced the beatings, the whippings, the smiting, the plucking of his beard, the mockery, the ridicule, the accusations, the lies, the tempting, the provoking, the arrogance, and the laughter of the people spitting in his face, the smearing, the gnashing of their teeth upon his flesh, and the unjust trial that he went through. And no doubt, Jesus showed his love in life and on that cross. However, let me say it again, that Easter isn't about the cross, it's about the resurrection. So often we focus on the God of love, the God of forgiveness, the God of salvation, and we focus on the work of the cross, and we have a tendency not to focus or see the importance of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Yes, we thank God for the cross. We do not belittle that because without death, you cannot have a resurrection. Without his death, there would be no sacrifice for our sin. The cross is the prelude to the resurrection, but the resurrection also has spiritual significance for each and every one of us in this building. There was a man that lived in the late 1800s and early 
church by the name of Harry Houdini. And most of you've heard about him because his claim to fame was that he was a magician that specialized in what they called spectacular escapes. It is said of Harry that he laughed at locks, he sneered at chains, and he had the flexibility of an eel. They said that he had nine lives like a cat. They did all kinds of things to try to incarcerate this man. They sealed him in coffins, but he escaped. They locked him up in a milk can, he escaped. They sealed him in a beer barrel, he escaped. They riveted him in a boiler, he escaped. They sold him in canvas bags, he escaped. They sold him in different tough clothing, he escaped. And they even put O'Harry into a maximum security prison, and somehow O'Harry even escaped that. In October of 1926, Harry became very ill, and he told his wife, I think I'm going to die. And he said, if there's any way out, though, after I die, I'll find a way. He told his wife, if there's any way out, I will make contact with you, and I will do it on the anniversary of our death. He asked her, would you just keep my light shining so that I might find the way or see the way in the darkness? And for 10 solid years, his wife kept the light burning over his portrait. But at the end of the 10 years, she turned the light out because she accepted the fact that Harry could not find his way out and he could not escape old man death. In October of 1926, old man death claimed hold of Harry Houdini and they put him in a grave and he could not escape and he's still there to this very day. But death laid their hands upon Jesus Christ as well and they placed him in a tomb and they rolled a stone upon that tomb and put a seal upon it and it was the seal of the Roman government and to break that seal if anyone broke it it was defying the army and the authority of the Roman government itself but on the third day Jesus Christ opened his eyes and he yawned and he woke up and the stone was rolled away and Jesus Christ defiled old man death and he come up out of the grave can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is alive giving praise amen it did not take him a year a month or even a week Jesus just in three days rose from the dead he disrupted the prison of the grave that held him captive and he overcame old man death himself his stone has been rolled away and Jesus is alive he's not buried in the side of a mountain somewhere in a tomb but I'm here to tell you he's risen from the dead like he said he would and this is why the apostle Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 55 oh death where is thy sting and oh grave where's your victory Harry failed in his attempt to come back from the grave but Jesus Christ has risen and he seated himself at the right hand of the throne of God Jesus is there making intercessory for each and every one of us as our high priest therefore he's able to save to the uttermost seeing that he ever liveth to make intercessory for us he is praying for everyone in this building he's praying for this service right now he is forever seated up on the throne to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords and he is the awesome sovereign risen savior that gives us redemption. Can you give your risen lamb a praise here in this service this morning? Can I have an amen? Oh, help me Lord. 
But yet, while the church focuses eyes upon the cross, and well, we should, we do not want to belittle that at all, yet we cannot forget or be passive about his resurrection. Our culture, our culture loves God that die, dies for, for them. They love the thought of grace, of unconditional love. They love the thought of salvation. However, even though the cross saves us from the punishment of our sin, yet it is the resurrection that empowers us to live out our salvation with fear and trembling. The cross is the liberation from the wrath of God while the resurrection is the liberation from death itself. The cross purchases our forgiveness but the resurrection purchases us life. The resurrection brings us into a, a new realm, into a new way of living, into a new life. To many as received him, John said to him, gave he power to become the sons of God, not by the will of flesh, nor by the will of man, but by the will of God. Being forgiven by the cross is glorious. I thank God for it. But the resurrection provides life and provides it more abundantly. That's why that Paul or John said in John 10 and 10 that the thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. While the cross focuses on the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection focuses on the empowerment over sin. And even though the resurrection cannot happen without the cross, yet even so the cross would be futile without the resurrection. It would be like when God first made Adam. He reached down into the clay and the dirt and he formed him a body. And when you look down, it was a normal man laying there. He had likeness. He had image. But there was something missing. He had no life. And it wasn't until God breathed in his nostrils the breath of life that man became a living soul. And can I tell you that when I knelt at the cross and I asked Jesus Jesus to forgive me. Yes, I was forgiven, but I was still dead. I was still there. Though I was forgiven and not going to have to face wrath, yet on the other hand, I was still dead. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am not only forgiven, but I am alive. Can I have an amen? Oh, hallelujah. You are alive in Christ Jesus this morning. It is the resurrection that gives us victory over sin. When Jesus come out, out of the grave, he went down to the bowels of the earth. He grabbed a hold of the whiskers of old man death and he said, you're no longer in charge, big boy. Give me the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Harry Houdini could not overcome death, but Jesus conquered old man death. He rose to give us life. The resurrection exposes us to the life in God, in Christ Jesus. That's why that Paul wrote, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed us from the law of sin and death. This is why that Jesus said in John 14 and 9, yet in a little while the world will see me no more because I'm going to be crucified, but you're going to see me because I'm going to resurrect, he says, because I live, you shall live also. Can I tell you, he said, you destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up. All of the Pharisees and the religious bunch who could not understand about his death, burial, and resurrection and what he was going to do. They mocked and said he's going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem and in three days he's going to build it back up. That was a laughter because it took years to build that, tempter, uh, that temple. But he wasn't talking about that temple. He was talking about the temple of his flesh. He says, you go nail me to that cross. You plant me in the ground, but in three days you're going to see me again because old man grave is not going to hold me down. I want to tell you that's why he told Martha in John 11 and 25, I am the resurrection 
resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. This is what Paul said about the resurrection in 2 Timothy 1 and 10. He said, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Paul is making a proclamation that something is becoming to light due to the resurrection and the manifestation of Jesus. What is it that's coming to light? He who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Can I tell you he brought life through the resurrection of his own body. Can I tell you he that hath the son has life and he that has not the son has not life. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is not still on a cross. He's not still in a tomb. He's not buried somewhere tucked away. But Jesus Christ has risen from the dead as he said he would. In Adam all die but in Christ all shall be made alive. Amen. Jesus is alive. He's alive and because he lives you can live too. This is why the Acts 17 28 says for in him we live, we move and we have our being. The resurrection gives us power by which we overcome the active elements of sin and death. It produces in us a life of holiness. The cross forgives us of our past, but the resurrection provides and secures our future. The cross removes our punishment, but the resurrection brings about our deliverance. The cross stops the bruising while the resurrection breaks our bondage. I want to stop right here and just say this, church. Palace of praise, we're not just forgiven, we're free. Can I have an amen? The cross stops the cat of nine tails from being put up on our backs while the resurrection looses us from our captivity. The cross releases us from our pain while the resurrection frees us from our prison. The cross allows us to escape wrath while it is the resurrection that establishes our worship and makes us lively stones that built up a spiritual house. Resurrection brings us into the life of God. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. Man will embrace the cross of Christ, but the lot of times they'll, in, they'll he, be hesitant to impre, embrace the resurrection of Christ. It was Mother Teresa that said, they will engage a God that will free them from their judgment, but not embrace the resurrection by attempting to live in step with the world and remain worldly. She said, yet they will try to hold on to their faith simultaneously. But the resurrection demands that you surrender unto his will. She said, they want to be saved by him, but they don't want no demand from him to live for him. That's our culture today. Yet Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple if you do not deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Thank God for the cross. The cross relieves the punishment, the wrath, the beatings, the scourgings. That is the punishment for our sin. And Jesus took that. But thank God for the resurrection because the very sin that held me captive is now overcome by the risen lamb of Jesus Christ. And because he has victory, I can have victory too. Amen. It's only as we embrace his resurrection that we'll be liberated from our slavery. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, listen to this, how simple it is. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in a heart that what? God has raised him from the dead. 
thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice, it's not only our confession of sin. It's not only our confession of Christ that's important. Yes, we got to confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, we got to confess Jesus is Lord. If we deny him, he will deny us. But on the flip side of the coin, we also have to believe in the resurrection that ensures our salvation. Because confession is very easy. But it's the believing in the resurrection that a man is brought into righteousness because it's a heart thing. It's one thing for me just to say, oh, I like the thought of God forgive me, God forgive me of my sin and not allow the cross to transform me. But when I begin to say, God, I not only embrace what you've done on the cross for me, but I embrace your resurrection because the resurrection does not focus upon a dead God that died for me, but it focuses upon a living God that frees me. It focuses upon the power of the resurrection to live a conquering life. And can I tell you that Jesus has not only forgiven you, but he's empowered you to live above sin and beyond reproach. And he's given you the ability to live holy because he is holy. Can I have an amen? Somebody shout in this place. Our focus is on a living, vibrant, present God that is among us and not just a God that died for us to give us grace. I thank God for the cross, but I'm not sitting around the cross weeping. Thank God that he's freed me. Thank God that he's, that, that he's uh, gave me life. Listen, I, I, I would like what Brother Zach said about the communion. I've said it a lot of times when we take communion. A lot of times we treat it as a funeral service. And we reflect back on the time that Christ died. And we ought to have a solemn thankfulness, yes. But the real communion is about a celebration. It's not about not only what he done for us. But that's the promise of his return, declaring that he's still alive. Amen? Man believes in his heart about the resurrection of Jesus, and it produces righteousness in him, according to Paul's writing. It is holiness, and it, and it is our focus is on his holiness and his power and glory when we focus upon the resurrection. We do not need to be focused upon a dead lamb. We need to be focused upon a risen Christ. Can I have an amen? Our culture prefers to use intimate terms to describe God such as Abba Father, loving God. Oh, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's that lily of the valley. He's that bright and morning star. And we love to sing songs of intimacy. And I could go through all the different songs. It's all about a love relationship. Love, 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 love. But we really do not like to refer to him as the Almighty the ancient of days, the consuming fire, our majesty, our holiness, the righteous one. We live in a culture that is uncomfortable that there is a God of power and a God of holiness. We live in a culture that is constantly trying to dress God down to make him one of the guys instead of seeing his sovereignty, his superiority, and his authority. And the reason that is happening is because they're bracing the cross without seeing the actual implication of the resurrection. The resurrection exposes us to heaven's influence, which is not only to be on us, but it's to be in us. Folks, can I tell you that when Christ raised from the dead, he not only rose up in power, 
but that same power rests in us because he dwells within us and we as a church can tread upon serpents. We can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We can cast out demons. Why? Because the same authority and power that's in our Savior lies within us because Christ lives within us. Amen. The resurrection causes us to be tempered by the court of heaven and by the king. It will cause us to be disciplined in our actions. It will control our emotions. It will temper our attitude. It will regulate our behavior. It will restrain our, our desires. The resurrection brings us into a resurrected life that is connected to God's purposes and the counsel of his own will. He did not come just to die for us, but he arose to live inside of us. That's why Paul said in the book of Galatians 5 and 20, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ liveth within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Paul said the life that I now live, it ain't even my life, it's Christ living his life through me. That's the resurrection. We like to define God as love. We like to think him as a God without standards and without demands. We like to think him as an unconditional love and we conclude him to be a God without conditions. Everyone likes to think of what Christ done on the cross and they accept his sacrifice. They confess salvation. The only problem is they want a savior a lot of times but they don't want a Lord or a master. Kirkgaard said one time, he said, when everyone is a Christian, no one is a Christian. When standards fall, when demands are done away with, Everybody confesses to be a Christian, regardless of how they lived. He said, when everybody confesses to be a Christian, really no one is because the standard of Scripture has dropped. Amen. Did you know right now, even in America, with everything it is embracing, with everything that is going on in the dark domain, yet the biggest majority still claim to be Christians? Can I tell you that true religion is not a matter of learning how to think about God. It's about encountering God. Life is not in the intellects raggling over issues, but as Oswald Chambers said, he said it is by the heart that God is perceived and not by reason. It was Absalom that believed faith must precede all effort to understand. The believing man, he says, does not ponder the word and arrive at faith by a process of reasoning or by philosophy of science, but he drives, but he comes to the understanding of who God is by the spirit of adoption to where God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and of children then heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together with him. Amen? So true intimacy is not us watering down God by making him one of the guys, but true intimacy is making us conform to him. It is by the resurrection power that we are disciplined to see him as God, a holy God, a king of the universe. It puts fear, a reverence in our hearts. The resurrection lets us see God as a transcendent God. He is lofty, yet among us. He is known, but not fully known because he's past finding out. He's father, and yet he's the exalted one. He's both supreme and incomparable, yet approachable. We are like him, created by him, and yet there's none like him. The resurrection brings us into the life of God, and it is his holiness 
that defines who God is. It is not love that most clearly defines who God is, but it's holiness. The holiness of God is what makes him transcendently actually autonomous. What does that mean? He is utterly holy and he's got a holy attire. Everything else proceeds from his holiness. It means that everything he does derives out of his holiness. Did you know his love, his truth, his power, his grace, his wrath, his mercy, and his judgment all come out of holiness? Did you know God is just as holy in his judgment as he is in his love? God is just as holy in his mercy as he is in his anger. God is holy in everything that he does. The word holy is the Hebrew word that means separate. It is the idea that God is in a class to himself unlike any other creature or any other created thing or any other being. Matter of fact, that's what John 3 and 31 says. He that cometh from above is above all. He that cometh from the earth speaketh of the earth, but he that cometh from heaven is above all. It talks about Ephesians 1 and 21 that Jesus is for above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this, and not only in this age, but even in the worlds to come. He even said in Colossians 1 and 16, for by him are all things were created that are in heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be dominions or principalities or thrones or powers. All things were made by, are created by him and they were created for him. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's not only the son of man who died on the cross. He is the very son of God. Can I have an amen? God is solitary in his majesty, unique in his excellency, and peerless in his perfection. This is why that people want to embrace the cross without embracing his resurrection because to embrace the resurrection is to be brought into alignment with the life of God, which is holy. And that's why Hebrews 12 and 14 says, without holiness, no man shall see God. That's why that 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, but he, as he which has called you is holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In other words, if you'll, Look at that context. It's saying, be ye holy in every which way that you live. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. The resurrection brings us in the perspective that you and I can live holy because Christ has empowered us and given us dominion and authority over the same sin that he conquered, not only through his death, but through his resurrection. Ha, hallelujah. In closing, let me say this. The resurrection only gives us life for today but it ensures our eternal life for our future. And matter of fact, Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. It is Christ that purchased eternal life for all those that sleep in Jesus and is the assurance of our future resurrection. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 verse 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter four. I'll quote this and then I'll quit. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you shall not, even them which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the Lord, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Not only is 
says God secured my future because of his resurrection, but he's empowered me in life in order to be able to be an overcomer so that when Jesus comes to get his church that he's looking for without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing, that I'll be able to stand justified in his sight because he's not only took my sin and, and nailed it to a cross, but he's risen to give me power and dominion and authority that I might live the life of God in the spirit and that I will be a candidate of the same resurrection because he is my first fruit. Can I have an amen? Would you stand with me this morning? This blessed Easter, I tell you, it makes me happy. I'm just trying to preach to you that we're not only a forgiven church, we are a free church. We're not only a forgiven church, we are an authoritative church, a powerful church. The church don't have to be weak need. It don't have to be frail. It don't always have to flirt around and be in some kind of a bondage. Every bondage that's upon men and women in this building, I break it in the name of Jesus Christ who has all authority and power. Every chain shall be broken. Thank God that you're forgiven by the cross, that God wants you more than forgiver. He wants you to live a life of freedom and joy and he wants you to have peace beyond measure because that's what the resurrection ensures for you. It's your guarantee. I'm not serving a dead God. Harry Houdini's still in the grave, but I want to tell you the stone's been rolled away. Jesus is alive. I love it, and I'll tell this story, and then I'll close out. When Jesus was in the grave, they wrapped him in grave clothes. And when the they ran in the tomb to see where Jesus was at. There laid the grave clothes and it said, and it was all folded like a napkin laying neatly. And if you'll understand what that meant in Jewish terms, when they would rise up from a table, there was a certain way that they would fold that napkin to, as declares to say, I'm not finished yet. Then I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna go somewhere, but when I come back, I'll finish my meal. That's what it was saying. When Jesus folded his grave clothes like that, you know what it stated? He said, hey guys, I've stepped out of the tomb for a while, but I'm not done yet, I'm coming back. Can I have an amen? That same Christ who was lifted up with, right there in the very eyesight of, of the disciples, it says, and this same Jesus who was carried away shall in like manner also come again. Can I tell you that the risen lamb is not dead and that same Christ who they bruised and buried and put in a tomb, he rose from the dead. He's gonna come and snatch his church away. But one of these days he's gonna come and at the second coming of Jesus Christ and everyone that pierced him will see him and they'll wail and they'll fret and they'll fear. He'll come down and put his foot on the Mount of Olives and he'll split to the north, to the south. He'll ride in in Jerusalem. He'll go through that east gate that's sealed up. He'll go in riding as king of kings and lord of lords. He'll set up his millennial kingdom and he'll rule and reign forever. Amen. You don't have to be in bondage to dead religion. You don't have to be bound by addictions, bound by fear, torments, we serve a God that's a delivering God. He's overcome death, hell, and the grave and everything it can throw at us. And I'm gonna ask you this morning, if you're dealing with issues and you feel like you're being defeated, 
This message is for you because the cross not only will forgive you, but the belief in his resurrection and the power of who he is will free you here this morning. I believe that we can lay hands upon people that are bound and they can be free. How many believe that? Come on, somebody help me preach here this morning. I love you here today. And I want you to grasp hope of the power of the resurrection because it's a power of believing unto life that'll bring you into the fellowship, not only with Christ's sufferings, but fellowship into his peace, his joy, and his life. Amen. I'm gonna have them sing one song like we did this morning. And while they're singing this song, if there's anybody that needs deliverance, freedom, prayer, for anything, if you're just being burdened and you need prayer this morning, we're gonna have you to come. While this song's being sung, but while they're singing this song, the church, we are lively stones. The power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. We are to be magnifying him this morning. So worship as they sing and the altar is open. And then after that, we'll close out. That sealed the promise when your very body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the whole fire as no pain on Christ is your living hope. Hallelujah. Go in peace. Turn around and look at somebody and say, you're more than a victor in Jesus Christ. You're more than a conqueror. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.